The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. It's like a good two-minute drill. We are just boom, 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 right down the field. Opinionated. If they take the David Price savings and the Mookie Betts savings and pocket the money, it will have been a lie, and the fan base will be furious. To the point. Cam is not that guy. He's not the kind of athlete that works in today's NFL for the most part. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show right here on a Friday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. 90 minutes of sports talk. We do it every single weeknight going up until 7 o'clock. If you want to interact with me, you can. You can get in on the show on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, will join us in about 15 minutes. We've got a ton of stuff to talk with him about. Yeah, we got to get ready for Patriots Chargers, but his guys at Pro Football Focus have put out some very interesting stuff in the last week, including yesterday, their top 50 free agents and subsequent predictions for those free agents for this upcoming offseason. And let me make this perfectly clear. I usually don't like lists. I don't like mock drafts. I don't like lists. I don't like forecasting things for months from now. But this one caught my eye. And the reason why is because Pro Football Focus has the New England Patriots this offseason signing Ryan Fitzpatrick to play quarterback for them in 2021. They've got Cam Newton moving on. We'll tell you where they've got him going over the course of the show. But they have Ryan Fitzpatrick joining the New England Patriots next, well, this upcoming offseason into next season. They've got him signing a one-year $10 million deal. It's really kind of eerily, eerily interesting to me because Lee Cattell, our morning guy, who's also a diehard sports fan, he said to me yesterday, like, hey, I'm done with Cam. I'd rather get Fitzmagic. And here we are, hours later, Pro Football Focus has the Patriots getting Fitzmagic. Fitzpatrick will be 38 next season. The logistics are this. He's got 12 touchdowns, 8 picks this year. Last year, 20 touchdowns, 13 picks. I'll start out with this. My overall opinion of the move is I like the move. I would like this move for a couple of reasons. If the Patriots sign Ryan Fitzpatrick to this deal, one year, $10 million, I would like this deal for multiple reasons. But I do have one major question I will get to in a couple of minutes. First off, the move would be understandable, right? It would be understandable, just like bringing Cam Newton back would be understandable in this sense. It serves as another bridge quarterback to the future. It allows the team to take a quarterback this year in the draft, which I want them to, and to not have to thrust him into a position of starting right away. Or it buys them another year and allows them to draft a quarterback in the next draft. One of those two things is allowed to happen if the Patriots get this bridge quarterback. And again, it could be bringing back Cam, but if it was Ryan Fitzpatrick, it serves the same purpose. You can draft a quarterback and you don't have to play him right away. Or you can buy yourself another full season if you want and wait for the quarterback in the next draft. So it makes sense on the bridge quarterback front. It also makes sense money-wise. $10 million. We heard twice this week, once from Albert Breer of Monday Morning Quarterback and once from Field Yates of ESPN on this show that Cam Newton would likely cost $20 million to bring back next year. And coincidentally, Pro Football Focus has him signing a $20 million deal with the team they have him predicted for. 
So Ryan Fitzpatrick would cost $10 million less than now three separate sources have said Cam Newton would cost. Um, You save money on the quarterback, and you have a bunch of cap space, so it allows you to do more things. And you know what? Arguably, I don't want to bury the lead here, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a better quarterback right now than Cam Newton is. I don't know what next year will look like, but right now, from what I am seeing, Ryan Fitzpatrick, 12 touchdowns, 8 picks, gunslinger mentality, throws it all around the yard. That guy is a better quarterback than Cam Newton is, and he would cost $10 million less, and I have a bunch of cap space. That right there on the surface, another reason why I would like the perspective move of bringing in Ryan Fitzpatrick. I also have to admit, right, like I have a little bias here. I have some some love for Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think a lot of people love Ryan Fitzpatrick. When you talk about a guy who's played 15 years in the NFL, who came out of Harvard, a non-traditional football program, a, non, a, a non-traditional, you know, where football doesn't mean everything. It's not a football factory. And then he's bounced around. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I couldn't even name off the top of my head every team he played for. He's played for the Rams. He's played for the Titans. He's played for the Bucks. He's played for the Jets, the Bills, Miami. I'm sure there's somebody else in there that I'm missing also. Like, he's bounced around. We love underdog stories. We love comeback stories. And we love stories of guys who overcome obstacles. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is doing that. So I like Ryan Fitzpatrick. Another reason why I would be okay if they got him. He also would make this team exciting. We talked yesterday about Cam Newton making this team exciting. Ryan Fitzpatrick would make next year's Patriots exciting in almost the complete opposite way. The on-field product would be so different for the 2021 Patriots that I would welcome that. I welcome the team being interesting. I welcome the team being relevant. I welcome them being exciting. I mean, you look at this. A Ryan Fitzpatrick-led Patriots team would be almost the complete antithesis to a Cam Newton-led Patriots team. Cam almost never throws. Fitz loves to throw. He has a short memory when he throws, whereas Cam tells you he overthinks things and things are on his mind and he's trying to, you know, he looks hesitant at times. Fitz is like, here, pick in the first quarter, don't care. Pick later in the first quarter, don't care. I'm going to keep slinging it 42 times, 58 times. It doesn't matter. He'll throw, he'll throw every down. Like Ryan Fitzpatrick and a Patriots offense with him, he'd just sling it all over the yard with no remorse, and they'd be interesting. So if you think that this offense that the Patriots run now is boring, it would be completely different with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And and I welcome I welcome fun. I welcome up tempo and Ryan Fitzpatrick would provide that for the New England Patriots. And don't forget this. Ryan Fitzpatrick has played a lot of places and done well with subpar weapons. Okay, the Miami Dolphins last year who came into Foxborough and won in week 17. Can we really name anybody who was in that game? Devontae Parker played and played well. He torched Stephon Gilmore. And Mike Kosicki, the tight end, that was really, he's good, but that was kind of the, the first that I had really paid attention to him. He took a team that won five games last year, played very well down the stretch, did it with subpar weapons. I got to think the Patriots are going to have subpar weapons again next year, or at least undeveloped weapons. Even if they go and draft wide receivers and they've signed people, they're going to have some undeveloped weapons there. Ryan Fitzpatrick is used to 
getting a lot out of underdeveloped talent or non-talent. I would think that, again, Cam Newton is hesitant. And I like Cam. This is not me just bashing Cam. I like Cam. And I've really enjoyed having Cam in New England. But he's hesitant to throw. He will only throw if a guy is wide open. And these wide receivers, they can't get wide open. They get a little bit open. Ryan Fitzpatrick's like, hey, any bit of open, you're getting the ball. He's certainly not going to be afraid to throw, and that's going to get the most out of whatever limited group the Patriots may bring back next year. Also, he is set to be, he is a great teammate, right? Like, that's what we know. I've spoken to former teammates of Ryan Fitzpatrick, and they have said he is a guy you go to bat for. And we've seen how much that has mattered this year with Cam Newton. The guys go to bat for him, and they play hard for him, and they want to play alongside him. So if Ryan Fitzpatrick was here and can elicit the same reaction out of his teammates, then I have to think that Fitz is also a good fit in Foxborough. But I said, I have one question about Ryan Fitzpatrick over Cam Newton. All the other things are good, right? Fitz is a gunslinger. The offense would be fun. The offense would be different. They'd throw the ball a lot more. He could probably get more out of lesser talent on the outside just because of his willingness to throw and try to fit the ball in tight spaces. He's a great teammate. That's all huge bonus points. The money, the fact that he'd be cheaper, that's a huge bonus point. They're all huge bonus points. The only question I have about Ryan Fitzpatrick coming to Foxborough is this. The thing that analytics and stats can't account for are the intangibles. Cam Newton now has had a year in the offense. If he came back, would would have a full offseason, a normal offseason, we think, and then would then have a normal training camp, normal preseason, and would be in year two of Josh McDaniel's offense. How much does that understanding of a system, understanding of personnel, understanding of a coaching staff, and familiarity in the offense, how much does that help? Because I think Fitz is a better thrower of the football. I think he can command the locker room and the respect of his peers in a similar way. I think he's got a willingness to take the offense to a level that Cam Newton isn't. That's all huge. How much is it worth, both in terms of dollars? If Cam's going to cost $10 million more, what or what are we getting that's better than Fitz? I just told you all the things I think that are just as good or better in Fitz's favor. So for $10 million more for Cam, what am I getting that's better than Fitz? It's that understanding of the offense. It's that understanding of personnel. It's that relationship with Bill Belichick, that relationship with Josh McDaniels. That all has to matter. We've seen how hard it is for Cam in these circumstances, to get the offense down. He says he's, he said today, I'm still learning it. That's got to count for something. If it's difficult to learn for Cam, and Cam's played quarterback for a decade. Cam's not stupid. If it's difficult for Cam to learn, how much more money is it worth to keep Cam here and just hope that he's going to be better in year two? Because if I bring in Fitz and get the same kind of slog through everything that I've gotten with Cam, then it's not, then, then the $10 million saved probably isn't worth it. That's the question you have to ask yourself, economically and financially. Fitz does a lot of things better, and he does it at a cheaper price. 
but is he going to pick up the offense right away or is he going to stumble through it and stub his toe in the way that Cam has at multiple courses of the year? That's the thing that I don't know about. How much is that worth? How much is the year of experience worth? Because Ryan Fitzpatrick right now is better and his, his mental state is not broken in the way that Cam Newton's has appeared to be at times this year. I love Cam. I've enjoyed him, and I'd be 100% okay if they brought him back next year at an affordable deal. I probably wouldn't give him $20 million, but if it was an affordable deal, I'd be 100% okay with Cam coming back. But Ryan Fitzpatrick, one year, $10 million, there's a lot of things to like more about what he does than what Cam does. Throws it more, better thrower, just a more pure thrower, tough-minded leader, Guys also respect him. A lot of things there point to even or better for Fitz. The one thing Cam has going for him is he's been in the offense for a year. How much does that matter? That's the question that right now I just can't answer. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. What we'll do is we usually do our six-pack of NFL questions at this time, but uh, we'll get to that here over the course of the show as well. We'll get to that a little bit later because I want to bring in Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus, whose guys wrote all this stuff. They wrote that Cam was going to go to the Cincinnati Bengals. That was the team they've got Cam going to for one year and $20 million. We'll talk about that with Eric Eager. We'll also talk about Fitzmagic possibly in Foxborough. His guys wrote it, but does he believe it? Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Football is a complicated game. It's full of plays. John! What? Red 7! I don't know what Red 7 means. Hot route! I don't. What is hot route? And numbers and statistics. So how do we even understand the game? (laughs) It's our weekly conversation with Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Getting ready for Patriots-Chargers, a win the Patriots desperately need to keep any fleeting playoff hopes alive as they look to get back to 500. The guy to break it down all with us, but all and also answer a lot of other questions that I have right now, is Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. Eric, I'm going to start with this. I know you don't do everything by yourself at the company, but I need you to defend your people on a couple of different fronts. In a league with Dalvin Cook, PFF has Damian Harris, the highest-graded running back in the league. How is this possible? I mean, Dalvin Cook actually hasn't been that effective relatively recently, right? When you look at uh, – I, I think my friend Ben Baldwin tweeted this out. The in the the in you know, Dalvin Cook got NFC Offensive Player of the Month. Um, in three of the games during the month, he he the Vikings lost six or more expected points on his runs. Um, so you you watch the Chicago game, you watch last week's game, um, very much um, a, you know a, an ineffective run game. Um, and while Cook is great, uh, you know Damian Harris has you know been about as good. And and you know if you know when when you look at sort of like the blocking up front, he's been better even than you know sort of you would expect expect there. You know, the other thing I got to ask you to defend is that Pro Football Focus put out its fifty, its top 50 free agents and their predictions. I'm usually not one for lists in any form, but this one caught my eye. You guys have Cam Newton going to the Bengals and Ryan Fitzpatrick coming to the Patriots. So I guess let me ask you first about Fitz. Do you think in 2021 
Fitz would be a fit in New England. Yeah, I think, I mean, don't you think that it, it would probably be in conjunction with drafting a quarterback? And I think that that might be difficult to accomplish with a quarterback of the ilk of, let's say, um, you know, let's say Cam Newton or, you know, somebody better. I think if the Patriots were to draft a quarterback, they probably would want Fitzpatrick in there, um, you know, to sort of, uh, you know, you know, uh, bridge the gap, uh, so to speak. You know, Fitz, you guys had listed at a ten-year or a ten million dollar contract, one year, ten million. You had Cam going to Bengals, one year, twenty million. Is Cam that much better than Fitz? Like, I look at Fitz and say, yes, he's older, but he's still a tough-minded runner. He's still a good team leader, and he's a far better thrower of the football than Cam. Is he ten million dollars worse than Cam on the open market? I think so. Well, I, you know, the the thing about it is, is we're looking at Cam Newton from the we're looking at Cam Newton sort of from the perspective of, you know, this is about as good as he's going to be. And that's how we're also looking at Fitzpatrick. But Fitzpatrick has actually played a lot better than, you know, uh, his, his norm historically uh, over the past, you know, two, three years. So, you know, I think when you combine age, you combine things like that. I, I do think, um, you know, that he, uh, you know, that, that Cam does represent a little bit better. I'm actually amazed at where Cam was on this list. He was ranked the 15th best free agent in the upcoming offseason. He was ahead of Jameis Winston, which really surprised me. Yeah. Well, you know, Jameis Winston sort of the, I think the issue now is like you do have to respect the marketplace and the marketplace has, has made uh, Jameis a backup here, um, which it hasn't done for some other quarterbacks, including Cam. What would be the motivation for Cam to go to the Bengals? Are people – I haven't been paying too much attention to the Bengals. Are people worried that Burrow won't be ready for the season next year and that would give Cam an opportunity to start? Because what would his motivation be to go to Cincinnati? I think that that's it, actually. I think that when you look at um, – when, when you look at Burrow, you know, some of the issues might be that he's not ready to play. There's also – like as encouraging as he's been, there's arm strength. There's a number of issues I think with Burrow that people have, but I think chief among them is just his his injury history and the fact that Cam could be sort of another bridge, either to you know finding out whether or not Burrow's healthy or um, you know uh, actually filling in for him during one season. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM and FM, and WDEVRadio.com. All right, now that I've hammered the list, and I'll continue to get back into it. Over the course of the show, I want to move to the game this week. I look at this game and it's so interesting to me. The Chargers are three and eight, but they have exponentially better players than the Patriots at a lot of positions. Why are the Chargers this bad record wise? Well, I think I think a lot of it, what it is, is that, you know, they just struggle at basic strategies. So you look and I was talking about this a second ago. Um, you know, I think that Shane Steichen's done a really good job as their offense coordinator. I think that, um, you know, they, they have a lot of talent, but you know, they just like, if you watch the end of that, the, the first half against Buffalo last week, like they completely bungled the end of that game. And then, you know, if you bet on the chargers, you know, plus the five and a half or whatever, at the end of the game, you're, you really saw sort of how they bungled the end of the game down 10. Like they just game after game after game is struggle like they're the guy at the end of the blackjack table that stays on a 14 against you know <laughs> that stays on a 14 and then you know hits on an 18 type of thing like they just you know it, it doesn't even matter how good their players are they're simply unable to at times to get out of their own way the guy who scares me the most Joey Bosa obviously on the defensive side 
But Austin Eckler really, really worries me. Um, 25 touches last week when he came back. He had 11 catches. And the Patriots linebackers are so slow that I really worry about Austin Eckler getting the ball and getting in space. Is that a, a, a proper fear of mine? Yeah, I think so. He's he's one of the better you know running backs in the game of football. And, you know, he does it outside of the numbers through the pass game. He also is a very good runner, uh, which I don't think people give him as much credit credit for. Um, he's going to be somebody that the, that the Patriots struggle with. Um, you know, and Herbert's done a really good job of playing under pressure this year. You were tweeting stuff about Justin Herbert today. It didn't look like his numbers were that good under pressure from a blitz standpoint. Should the Patriots be bringing the house this weekend? I think so, yeah. I mean, pre- his pressure statistics, he's averaging more yards per attempt when under pressure this year than when clean. So I, one of the things is, is sort of like, okay, either the scheme is giving him a lot of good things to throw to when he's under pressure or he should be regressing to the mean at some point um you know in, in that way so the, those are the that was sort of the point of the tweet but yeah the, the Patriots should be blitzing him and I think that the fact that they can cover on the back end will will really help them well that's something we'll definitely be looking forward to Stefan Gilmore against Stefan or uh, Keenan Allen rather should be another very good matchup um Bill Belichick's 8-0 since 2013 against rookie quarterbacks like I don't know what it is but rookie quarterbacks just don't beat him so I'm picking the Patriots to win. Skill player-wise would tell me I shouldn't be doing that, but I can't go against Belichick's history. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I like you said, if you grade the players out, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to pick the Patriots. And I think that people have been betting into the Chargers, uh, much like they did in the playoffs of 2018. That game closes, I believe, the Patriots were three-and-a-half, four-point favorites, and they easily covered that. You know, it, it's just going to be one of those where Belichick is sort of this, like uh, – invisible hand here that does uh, a decent amount uh you know in the way of you know piecing things together more um you know sort of than the sum of the parts all right i'll get you out of here on this i was listening to greg cosell of nfl films yesterday and he said something really interesting it was in the context of kyler murray and he said that kyler murray's struggles are in part because he hasn't learned how to get his passing game and his running game to act independent of each other like they kind of need to act in um you know, in tandem for him to be good. He can't do one with, you know, one on its own. Has Cam, does he fall into the same category? Like in his career, has he been able to get by by relying on just his arm ever? Or has he always needed the uh, the run game there to supplement him in a big way? He's he's always needed the run game to supplement him in a, in a significant way. Yeah. And, and that is, and that's something that, um, you know, is always going to be a problem because there's injury obviously associated with that. And we've even seen that, you know, this past year, um, you know, with with uh, Lamar Jackson, you know, the, the the circle you have to square when things get tougher, um, you know, on your running game is that you have to be an accurate passer. And that's always been like the sort of downfall with some of, of these athletic quarterbacks who are good enough passers to be good, uh, but not necessarily good enough passers to overcome other other things being bad. Eric, I lied. I want to get you out of here on one more question. I'm going to go back to Fitz. The idea of Fitz in New England, and I was talking about this a bit ago, Fitz is used to throwing to not a lot of great weapons, right? Did it in Miami last year. He's done it with the Buffalo Jets at times. The Patriots, I don't project to have great weapons again next year. I think a Fitz-led Patriots team would be a lot of fun on offense. I think he would be able to overcome that to a degree because of his willingness to just throw it all around the yard. Do you agree with me there? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that that's a, a very fair point. And, you know, the, you know, I, 
the the Jacoby Myers, I mean, he's uh, been a top 10 receiver since he's played. I know last week was a little bit rough for the entire passing game. Um, but, you know, Bird and him have been good receivers. And I think that, you know, that's a, you know, that's a, a fairly good place to start. Now they need a tight end to come around. I think Bill Belichick's insistence that his tight ends be, uh, you know, uh, already made players is a problem. But other than that, you know, he should be, you know, yeah, they have a good – their weapons demise has been extremely exaggerated. Hmm. Well, Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, with us every single week here on the Brady Farkas Show. You can check his work out on, uh, and all the work at Pro Football Focus. It's really, really great and addicting, pff.com. You can check him out on Twitter as well. So all the data analysis, fantasy stuff, gambling, all the things you need there. Eric, man, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Eric Eager every single week with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV. Uh, he joins us at 545. Interesting stuff there. This list has me very, very flummoxed. So the idea of Ryan Fitzpatrick in New England's one thing. The idea of Cam Newton playing for the Bengals is another. And the idea that Cam Newton is more valuable than Jameis Winston on the open market, that's hard for me to believe. Jameis Winston is 26 years old. And Cam Newton is... You know, now low 30s, potentially damaged goods, has had a, I would say, an average season, statistically subpar season this year. But given all he's overcome and given what's transpired for everybody this year, I'd put it at average. But Jameis Winston threw for 5,000 yards last year, 26 years old. You've got, I thought absence was supposed to make the heart grow fonder. If I was a team looking for a quarterback, Jameis Winston would be my choice over Cam Newton. I guess the only difference is there is that Cam is likely seen by everybody as a one-year stopgap, whereas Winston is still a guy that maybe you think you got to tie down long-term. But uh, that surprised me. What we'll do is we'll step aside. We'll come back. We'll do our six-pack of NFL questions. We'll get you ready for the weekend, tell you which games we're watching, give you our final score prediction of the Patriots, and then we will get to our Eric Eager takeaways because there was a lot there about this list. I'm going to see what he said, you know, go back and kind of re-listen to what he said in the commercial break there about uh, about Ryan Fitzpatrick and the idea of of him coming into New England, Cam going to Foxborough or Cam going to Cincinnati. So, a lot of stuff to digest there, but we'll come back, we'll do our six-pack of NFL questions. We'll get you ready for week number 13. I can't believe that we are here at week number 13 in the NFL. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM and always streaming at wdevradio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM, FM and wdevradio.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM, wdevradio.com. The show is always brought to you by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia, family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. We'll get to our Eric Eager takeaways here momentarily, but guys, why don't we, uh, why don't we cue up the music? There we go. We'll get to our six-pack of NFL questions heading in to week number 13. All right, question number one, the game we're most looking forward to for me, Rams at Cardinals. Battle in the NFC West. You need to see how the Cardinals respond. Okay, They've lost three of four. They need to get right. 
a win dramatically improves their playoff chances. A loss drops them under 50% in terms of their ability to get to the playoffs. That's what ESPN's football power index says. If the Cardinals win, they get like a 75% chance of getting to the playoffs. If they lose, it's like down in the 30s. This game is huge for them. The Rams have owned the Cardinals as well. They've won six straight against Arizona. They've won seven of their last eight. Sean McVay has never lost to the Cardinals, and he beats them by an average of 23 points per game. Beginning of the year, I thought the Cardinals were going to be a very dangerous team. They go on the road, they beat San Francisco week one, and then now we don't know what to make of them. They've lost to the Patriots. They've lost to Seattle. They've lost three of four. People are questioning Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray last year against the Rams, by the way, rushed for zero yards. Zero yards in their week 13 matchup. Okay? The Cardinals are 3-11-1 in Murray's career when he rushes for under 40 yards. 3-11-1. We talked about the Patriots last week having to hold Kyler Murray in check rushing-wise. There's the stats that prove it. 3-11-1 would held under 40 rushing yards. Last time he played the Rams, he had zero rushing yards. The Cardinals need this game to really stay in the division race, and they need it to stay in the playoff race in general. Rams coming off a clunker last week against the 49ers. They need a bounce-back win, too. Question two is what we call the 90-day fiancé game. It's the game that we don't care about. It's the game that I'd rather watch TLC's 90-day fiancé than. And you know what? 90-day fiancé starting up a brand-new season on Sunday. So I got reason to watch that. And why am I going to watch it? Because I have no interest in the following game. And the following game is Lions and Bears. I'm out. I, I'm done. I don't need to watch it. Okay? It's a divisional game, yeah, but... The Packers already have the division wrapped up. That that's that's theirs now. I think the Vikings, who are five and six, I think they're better than both of these teams. So if I was gonna watch an NFC North team not named the Packers, I'd choose the Minnesota Vikings. The Lions, the one thing they had going for them was that they play on Thanksgiving. That's done. And the other thing they had going for them was what's gonna happen to Matt Patricia. They fired him. I'm out. Like the only reason to watch the Lions is just do they play hard for a, for an interim coach? I'm pro that's not enough to get me watching. And as for the Bears, they may eventually fire Matt Nagy. They may fire GM Ryan Pace. I don't need to watch Mitch Trubisky. For the Lions, Kenny Galladay is not playing. He's their best wide receiver. So a Lions team without a head coach and sans weapons against a Bears team with Mitch Trubisky and that might fire their coach and, and, and GM? No. I Zero interest in that game. So Lions, Bears, I won't even put it on in the corner of my television in picture in picture. Just Twitter can tell me who won that game. Question three on our six-pack on the Brady Farkas show. The player we most want to watch this week. This one's Kirk Cousins, and I hate saying this. I feel guilty saying this because I can't stand Kirk Cousins. Like, I am one of the leaders of the Kirk Cousins, you know, anti-fan club. Like, Kirk Cousins bashing starts and ends with Brady Farkas. But his numbers are actually pretty good the last several weeks. So since week four, Kirk Cousins is second in completion percentage. He's second in yards per attempt. He's throwing the ball almost nine yards per attempt. So we thought that Kirk Cousins was captain check down, was Mr. Dump Off, couldn't throw the ball down the field, was too timid. And here he is. He's throwing the ball down the field the last couple of weeks. Since week four, again, he is number two in the league, completion percentage and yards per attempt. He's got a great young receiver in Justin Jefferson. 
He gets Adam Thielen back. He's got a workhorse back in Dalvin Cook. And the Vikings are playing the Jaguars. The Vikings are kind of the Patriots of the NFC. They're 5-6, and six, and now they can win here and creep right into the heart of the playoff race. The Vikings are playing the Jacksonville Jaguars, who have one win. Kirk Cousins, you've, the numbers say you've been good since week four. You've got to take care of business against a horrendous Jacksonville team that's really not trying to win. The Jaguars organization, the players are trying. The organization is not really trying to win. They want to get the number one or the number two pick. They, they don't want to beat you. You've got to keep up the good numbers, utilize your good weapons, and get the win that you're supposed to get. And if you move to six and six, well, then all bets are off. You're still in the you're still in that playoff race as well. The NFC is good. NFC's got some very good teams. It's hard to sneak it as a wild card there. But if Arizona were to lose, and they'd go to six and six, and the Vikings were to win, and they'd go to six and six, all of a sudden now you're talking about Minnesota being maybe the team that we thought that they were going to be at the beginning of the year. Question number four, we move over to our Patriots-specific questions as they get ready for the Chargers. Remember, they're in L.A. We've got it for you. 1.30 with the pregame show on Sunday. 4.25 is the opening kickoff. The Patriots win this game if... Dot, dot, dot. Fill in the blank. The Patriots win this game if... Cam is healthy enough to be Cam. Cam is on the injury report, and we weren't really anticipating that like we didn't know that cam was bothered by anything two days in a row he's got an ab injury that pops up on the injury report and maybe it explains some of what we saw last week with his tentativeness tentativeness throwing the ball his inability to throw the ball well their unwillingness as a whole to throw the ball down the field maybe that's why he's got an ab injury try doing anything rotational with your core when you got an ab injury and that's tough cam needs to be able to run the football and throw the football effectively for them to win this game. To go on the road 3,000 miles, to take on a team with exponentially better weapons than they have, the, the only thing holding back the Chargers apparently is the coaching. Everyone says the coaching is just that bad for the Chargers, that that's why their record is bad. Chargers have an elite quarterback, young quarterback, very good running back, elite wide receiver, and a great defensive pass rusher in Joey Bosa. They, they should win this game at home. But Cam needs to be Cam to give the Patriots that chance to win. He needs to be able to throw. He needs to be able to run. And if you've got discomfort in that core, it's hard to do both of those things. If Cam is healthy enough to be Cam, the Patriots win this game. If he's limited beyond how they're already limited, then that's where the Patriots are going to give the Chargers their fourth win. Moving on to question number five. The Patriots lose this game if... Fill in the blank. The Patriots lose this game if... The Chargers can get out to a double-digit lead. And I say this kind of facetiously because, well, anybody who gets a double-digit lead has a good chance at winning a game. If truly the biggest gap in this game is coaching, if the if the biggest gap in this game is coaching, then the Chargers can't allow it to be a one-possession game very often. I mean, the Chargers are bad apparently at the end of the half. They're bad in the two-minute drill. They're bad at the end of game stuff. That's all the places where they've failed. If the Pats are within a score... You have to feel good about their ability to win because of the coaching gap. You have to feel good about the chances that the Chargers will just simply screw up. But if they have a 10-point lead, you know, it's like I think in baseball. If you can get within a grand slam, then you're always in the game. If the Pats are within one score, then they got, a, I, I would say, a good chance to win the game simply based on coaching. 
If the Chargers can keep some distance to the point where one score won't blow it for them, then that's where they ultimately have the chance to win. All right, number six, our final question. Crack open that beer, everybody. That's that six-pack of questions, 5 o'clock somewhere at 6.15 here at WDEV, that final score prediction. I continue to be addicted to the drug of hope, and I continue to pick the Patriots, and I think they're going to win again. 24-20 to 20 New England. The Chargers just will, just will find a way to beat themselves. Cam does just enough. It's been a weird year. The Patriots play good against good teams. They play down against bad teams. But I think the Chargers are a team with a lot of great players. But Belichick is a separator. As good as Justin Herbert is, Belichick is 8-0 in his last eight games against rookie quarterbacks. He's 25-5 in his career against rookie quarterbacks. He hasn't lost to a rookie since 2013. Rookies do not beat Bill Belichick. The Patriots go on the road. They find a way to make the Chargers beat themselves. They find a way to make the Chargers' coaching gaffes come to light once again. And Cam does just enough. I'm done trying to make it look pretty. I can't tell you it's going to look pretty. But I can tell you, Patriots 24, Chargers 20. That's where you're going to get to. That's the final score. And uh, you're going to get to hear it right here on WDEV. I, I... the Pat, somehow the Pats are going to be 6-6 six and six out of this. Out of how weird the year has been, I can't believe we're going to be talking about a situation where the New England Patriots are really entrenched in a playoff race going into week number 14. Baltimore is 6-5. and five. They're going to play on Tuesday against Dallas, so we'll be monitoring that, and we'll be monitoring the Colts. You want the Colts to lose. The Colts are playing Houston. If the Colts go to 7-5... and five, and the Pats can go to 6-6. Six and six. That's kind of one of the best paths for New England. You need Baltimore to lose. You need the Colts to lose. And Cleveland's playing Tennessee. If Cleveland has eight wins, if they go to 8-4, and four, I mean, yeah, your probably best bet is banking on Baltimore, who's currently out of the playoffs, but banking on Baltimore to um, continue to fall. And you're rooting for the Colts to lose. That's who you need to root against is the Indianapolis Colts. But Patriots 24, Chargers 20, coverage starts at 1.30. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, we spoke to Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus um, a little while ago. And we've got some of our biggest takeaways. And it's very interesting because we were just kind of talking about Cam. And I said the Patriots win if Cam is healthy enough to be Cam. And I heard a quote yesterday on a, on a radio show. I was listening to, to Fox Sports Radio nationally, and Greg Cosell, who's been on NFL Films for 40 years, he was talking about Lamar Jackson. He was talking about a running quarterback who is struggling. And I was able to translate it to Cam, and then we asked Eric Eager about it. So here's kind of what started it all for me. Greg Cosell of NFL Films, he was talking Lamar Jackson. I believe, and I, Bill Walsh was the one who t- taught me this, really, Colin, you have to get to a point where your pass game and your run game can work independently of one another. So he was saying about Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson is such a good runner, but his pass game is not able to stand on its own. So when the running game gets taken away or gets limited, the pass game isn't able to to carry you. And I was thinking that about Cam Newton. I don't know that Cam's ever gotten to that point in his career where his passing game can stand on its own 
And even if it was there in his late 20s or in his mid-20s, it's certainly not there right now. Cam Newton can win football games. He has won football games for the Patriots. He's 5-5. Five and five. They're 5-6, five and six, but he is 5-5. Five and five. He can win football games, but if he's going to win, he has to be able to do everything. The, the, the roundedness of his game is what makes him able to win. The running, the ability of him to run and always be a threat with the run is something that drives his success. If Cam Newton, if you said Cam's not going to run at all today, he's just going to throw it 44 times, I would tell you the Patriots aren't going to win. Conversely, if I told you Cam was going to run it 20 times and throw it four, I would tell you the Patriots aren't going to win. But they need, his game, it's both a blessing and a curse. When it's right for Cam, the ability to run props up everything around him. The threat of the run for Cam helps his passing game. When it's all working, it's a beautiful thing. But his defenses get smarter, and his defenses key on you, and his defenses stack the box, and his defense start to spy you, and his defenses take things take your legs away and leave you with just your arm. Cam right now, with this team, is not able to have that be a standalone trait. Maybe he was when he was 28, hyper-athletic, had better weapons, had Greg Olson. Maybe then he could throw it 47 times and not run it. But I don't know that Cam's ever gotten to that point. And we t- I just told you the stats a few minutes ago. Kyler Murray's going through this too. His team is 3-11-1 when he runs for less than 30 yards. When he doesn't have the running game in his ability or, or the running game in his arsenal, they lose. Look at New England last week. Kyler Murray runs for 31 yards. And they lose. He runs for 31 yards and they lose. Patriots take away the run, force Kyler, who's a little bit injured, to carry it with his arm when he couldn't do it. You always have to be evolving your game. You always have to grow. It's the, the easiest comparison is the pitcher who has lost his fastball, right? Like think about Araldus Chapman right now. Araldus Chapman forever was able to get by throwing 102 miles an hour. He did it with the Reds. He did it with the Yankees. Araldus Chapman still throws very hard, 98, 99. But the difference between 102 and 99 is huge in Major League Baseball circles. So now Araldus Chapman has started throwing sliders. He started throwing more sliders. He's learned that he needs something else to go to in order to succeed. They're on to plan A. Now I'm learning how to do plan B. It's why you see in the NBA hyper-athletic guys who are rim-rocking dunkers and supreme elevators. It's why they're adding three-point shots to their arsenal. Think about Giannis. What is the thing missing from Giannis's game right now? The ability to be a consistent outside threat. Giannis will kill you in the post. He will kill you in transition. He will kill you at the rim. Where he won't beat you right now is at the three-point line. So I'm going to, as you've seen the Celtics do, I'm going to pack it in. I'm not going to let you get inside. And you're going to have to shoot threes. That is where Lamar Jackson is at. That is where Kyler Murray is at. That is where Cam is at. Blake Griffin, same thing, used to be that guy. These guys are trying to evolve their games because their strength at some point won't be a strength. 
Cam is a fascinating case study in so many different ways. But when I heard Greg Cosell say this, I believe, and Bill Walsh was the one who taught me this really, Colin, you have to get to a point where your pass game and your run game can work independently of one another. Cam is not there. He needs them to be a tandem. He needs them to be intertwined. If him, if he's a running threat, then that helps the other running backs, but it also helps play action. It also helps guys separate down the field. It also brings the safety up a little bit and opens up the shot. It brings the linebacker up a little bit and opens up the shot. It means a guy's going to spy Cam and is going to open up somebody around the field. Like His run game helps his passing game in a lot of different ways. At 31 years old or whatever Cam is, he should be able to grow to a point where it's not having to work in tandem. And we'll do Daily Dose of Doug here in a bit with Flutie, but I was talking to Flutie earlier this week, and I asked him, and Cam is injured right now, right? He's got an ab injury. That's what worries me, is that he's not going to be comfortable doing anything, right? It's hard to run when you got an ab injury and get tackled. It's hard to throw when you got to torque and throw 40 times. I asked Doug once about the ability to run and how limited you are when you are injured. I had a game where I had a sprained arch in my foot for about a about an eight-week stretch. I really couldn't take off and run. So I stood in the pocket and threw the ball. This is in the CFL, of course. And it was a year I threw the most touchdown passes in my career. Oh, you know what? That's not the clip, guys. This is the clip. When you're used to being, and Kyler is, I'm sure, used to being the best athlete on the field and can make anyone miss at any time, when you take that out of his regiment, um, it's it's. I think um, when I – well, definitely when I came back from Canada, you know, I was, I was yep. old, 34, 35. But even in – I think in Canada I learned – I was probably early 30s, and I had those weeks where I couldn't run. I had a little strain of a hamstring or a calf or an arch in my foot or whatever it was, and you just learned to get rid of the ball and play like Tom Brady. So that – so Flutie said it took him until his low 30s to learn that. That's where Cam is at right now. Cam's not as good a thrower as Doug was. Cam is going to have, though, to continue to evolve his game because right now he's not able to throw independent of his run game. And Eric Eager said that as well. He's he's always needed the run game to supplement him in a in a significant way. Yeah, and and that is and that's something that um, you know is always going to be a problem because there's injury obviously associated with that. And we've even seen that you know this past year. Um, you know, with with uh, Lamar Jackson. So it's funny. Greg Cosell, Eric Eager, Doug Flutie, they're all talking about the same group, right? Cam, Lamar, Kyler. What do they all have in common? Three guys who need their legs to be a weapon for them, either the actual weapon or the threat of the actual weapon. And it's been hard for them to win when one of those things is taken away, when the legs are taken away. The thing that worries me most about this game is Cam's ab injury. He's listed as questionable. He's going to play. There's no way that he's not going to play in this game. But if he's limited, and that limits what they are even more, then that's where the Patriots become in trouble. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, every single Friday we do it. I give you my locks for the week. Sometimes it's gambling. Sometimes it's fantasy. Sometimes it's just something else. Let's get to the locks of the week. It's good to be confident. It's not good to be cocky. The penthouse or the poorhouse will find out this weekend. 
It's time for Brady's Friday Locks on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, the Friday Locks number one, Justin Herbert, Chargers quarterback, does not throw for 300 yards against the Patriots. He's got six 300-yard passing games tied with Andrew Luck for the most by a rookie in NFL history. He's got six 300-yard passing games tied with Andrew Luck for the most by a rookie in NFL history. He does not get the record breaker against Bill Belichick. Belichick is 8-0 in his last eight games against rookie quarterbacks. The Patriots are a team that controls tempo, will limit the amount of time that Herbert has the ball to accumulate stats, and the Patriots aren't capable of blowing you out. So it's not like the the Pats are going to be up 40-20 to and Herbert's going to be able to just throw and acquire garbage time yards. This is going to be a close game, a tight-knit game. Pats can't blow you out. Herbert's not going to... Herbert's not going to put up big stats. He's not going to have the ball enough to do that. Patriots will win the game, and they will hold Herbert to under 300 yards passing. Number two on my lock for the week, Cam throws for one or zero touchdowns. Cam throws for one or zero touchdowns. Look, he may run for one. He may throw for one. They may get one from a traditional running back, but Cam's stat season in terms of touchdowns is still going to be poor at the end of this game. He's got four touchdowns on the year and nine picks. He has gone 14 straight starts with one or fewer passing touchdowns. 14 straight starts with one or fewer passing touchdowns. Longest streak since Robert Griffin III went 14 starts from 2013 to 2016. Cam, they're going to win this game. He's going to do just enough in some way to win. He's not going to throw for more than one touchdown. Number three, the Falcons are going to cover the Saints spread plus three. Taysom Hill's 2-0 as a starter. Saints beat the Falcons two weeks ago, but different game this time. The Falcons are at home. Julio Jones is going to play. Matt Ryan needs to be protected. That's the biggest issue. He's been sacked 17 times in his last two games against the Saints. The team in Atlanta plays hard for Raheem Morris. They've won three of their last four. Should have been four or five, if not for a bad last-second loss to Detroit. Matt Ryan will play well. They're at home. Julio Jones is playing. Janoris Jenkins isn't playing in coverage for the Saints. And Taysom Hill has been okay, but unspectacular. Falcons are going to cover this spread. I don't know if they're going to win, but they're going to cover the spread of plus three. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, we'll get to our daily dose of Doug. But before, real quick, i got to mention, this is what I was worried about with the Boston Celtics. I have had one worry with the Celtics, and this is it. It came true today. That's next. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We'll get to Daily Dose of Doug in a minute, but this is what I was worried about with the Boston Celtics. The first half schedule for the NBA came out today, so we know who the Celtics are going to play for their first 30-plus games or whatever it is, and they're going to have to play without Kemba Walker at the beginning of the season. I was worried about not having Kemba and the Celtics having a very tough early season schedule and potentially getting in a hole. Remember, it's a 72-game season, not an 82-game season. You're going to have to play more games in 
you know, there's more back to backs, more condensed time frames. So you're going to play more, you know, you're going to play some games without Kemba. I'm afraid of the Celtics getting off to a slow start. Look at who they're playing out of the gates, okay? Six of the first nine games are on the road. They get uh, Milwaukee and Brooklyn in the first week of the season, two of the most talented teams in the league, especially in the Eastern Conference. And then early February, you don't know if Kemba's going to be back. And even if he is, he might be limited or not in rhythm yet. You get to host the Lakers. Then you get to go west for Warriors, Kings, Clippers, Suns, and Jazz. And that's four really good teams there in Sacramento. So this team could start slow or could be in a lull. And in a shortened season, I don't want to be in a lull. I don't want to be set up where as I, I'm 7-10, and 10, um, 6-12, and 12, um, hovering at 500. Because Brooklyn, I mean, God help them if Kyrie is good. I mean, who knows what Kyrie is going to do to that team. But if Brooklyn's good and Toronto's good and Milwaukee's good and Washington is better given that they have John Wall or uh, Russell Westbrook now in place of John Wall and Bradley Beal and Charlotte's better with Gordon Hayward. I mean, there are some tough matchups there and there are some tough teams there. And then you talk about that five game West coast swing where it's Warriors, Kings, Clippers, Suns, and Jazz. And I don't know what Kemba's availability is going to be or what if he's going to be in rhythm yet. That is absolutely something that I am worried about. I think this year I really want to see the Celtics get off to a good start. And it's going to be hard without Kemba because Kemba's 20 points a game scorer, a very good leader, a very good teammate. And now you've got, okay, Jeff Teague, who I like, and then you gotta, you're going to have to put a lot on these rookies early against some good teams. I mean, Peyton Pritchard and Aaron Neesmith and uh, Tremont Waters, if he's around, and Romeo Langford's hurt, and then Carson Edwards, if he's around. Like, you got a, a lot of young guys are going to have to step up and fill bigger roles in some big games early and some big tests early. And I mean, the Celtics are playing a couple, you know, a bunch of back to backs and. You know they're doing kind of what the America East is doing, playing two games in the same city against the same team to reduce travel. There's going to be some logistical stuff that makes this year hard in the early going. Hopefully Kemba comes back, and when he does, hopefully the team is still in a good position. All right, let's get to daily dose of Doug. Patriots getting ready for the uh, San Diego for the Los Angeles Chargers. We've got it for you again, one thirty on Sunday. Daily dose of Doug, newest podcast with Flutie came out today. Let's hear it. So Brady does a podcast with former Patriots quarterback Doug Flutie. Doug is a lot more famous than Brady. Flutie flushed, throws it down, caught by Boston College. I don't believe it. Doug is a lot smarter than Brady. Spread him out, throw the ball over the field, five yards at a time, basketball on grass, and go down the field. So let's listen to Doug. It's your daily dose of Doug on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, the podcast is called the Believe in Patriots podcast, B-L-E-A-V. You can find it uh, anywhere you get your podcasts. So just subscribe to the Brady Farkas Show podcast, and then while you're at it, subscribe to the Believe in Patriots podcast. I played this one on Wednesday. I'm bringing it back today for a specific reason. Doug was talking about Kyler Murray and talking about how both were undersized quarterbacks, but Kyler Murray had the belief in him from an organization to make him the number one pick and let him let him just go. Doug never had that. I'm playing this again today. I'm playing it for a reason. See, I'm jealous because he has the opportunity to be a first-round draft pick, to be the guy, put in the position to take control of the team and go. I never had that in the NFL. 
I was always a Band-Aid guy. I'd come in, I'd start for a team. Yeah, we can we can be competitive with Doug at quarterback, but while he's playing, we're looking for our guy. Okay. The back part of that clip is what I want you to focus on. I was always a Band-Aid guy. I was the guy, hey, we can be competitive with Doug, but we're always looking for our guy. The reason why I play that again is that reminds me a lot of Ryan Fitzpatrick. And we're talking about this pro football focus list that has Ryan Fitzpatrick coming to the Patriots in the offseason. He reminds me of the modern-day Doug Flutie, this journeyman who everybody likes but nobody loves, who everybody has enjoyed having, who has made everybody better but nobody wants to fully commit to. And now I get it. Fitzpatrick's 38 years old. You're not going to do that now. But Doug played until he was 43, and he could really sling it until he was, like, 42. So um, Fitz has never gotten that love in the way that Doug never got that love. Just feels like a Band-Aid guy. And you got to think about how much that wears on a player. We all think, oh, the athletes make a lot of money. Oh, the athletes get a lot of women. Oh, the athletes get a lot of attention. Oh, the athletes are famous. And that just covers up everything. I don't think that it covers up for the idea that you're never quite good enough. I mean, I can tell that it grinds Doug. When I talked to him, he and I have talked enough now that I can tell that it grinds on him that he was never secure enough to trust in his own ability and to just own his, you know, own his roster spot, to have a place on a team that he could trust was going to be there for a number of years. That's got to be how Fitz feels. He's constantly the bridesmaid, never the bride, and he's constantly just the guy keeping you keeping the seat warm and that's got to wear on you I mean you saw it earlier this year when Miami went to Tuatagavailoa this was back on October 22nd look at how Fitz sounds my heart just hurt all day it was heartbreaking for me that's the decision and the direction that the organization is going in and obviously this eventually was going to happen just a matter of kind of when not if and it broke my heart yesterday and you know it's a tough Tough thing for me to hear. It broke my heart all day. And you have a career worth of never being good enough. And even if he comes to New England, it's going to be the same thing. If he comes to New England, he's either going to play a couple of games and wait for the drafted quarterback to come in, or he'll play a season and then be, you know, no matter how well he plays, he'll, he'll be gone probably. And they'll just draft somebody else the next year. That's got it for all the the pluses, for all the amenities that you get, for all the access and insight you get as being an athlete. The 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 grinding nature of the constant moving and the constant turnover and the always looking over your shoulder that both Doug Flutie and Ryan Fitzpatrick experienced. That they're they're better men than me because that would be awfully hard to deal with. The feelings of insecurity they would get to Brady Farkas. I'll have to ask Doug about the Fitz comparisons when we sit down next week. Hey, speaking of that, though, on a totally separate note, where Doug was the guy was Boston College. 36 years ago yesterday, Doug was on the cover of Sports Illustrated because of the Hail Mary he threw to Gerard Phelan to beat uh, to beat Miami 1984. Pretty amazing. 36 years ago yesterday, my podcast teammate was on the cover of of Sports Illustrated. So very, very cool there. Um, All right, let's get to crazy Twitter takes. We didn't do it yesterday, so I'm glad that we were saving up for today. So crazy Twitter takes, guys. 
The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The, the internet. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEVAM, FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! All right, crazy Twitter takes right here. This one comes from our buddy Lou Merloni, who's been on this show, former Red Sox infielder and a current WEEI radio host. He was talking about Cam Newton. He was talking about Jared Stidham. He says he wants to see Stidham play. I'm curious. I want to see what Jared Stidham looks like. I would love to see Jared Stidham all week long prepare as a starter and see what he looks like in, in a game on Sunday. But I think Bill, given his actions, again, Cam Newton is 5-5 five and five as a starter. It'd be different if this team was, you know, eight and three, seven and four. You'd say, ah, you know, Cam is what he is, but they're winning football games. They're a five and six football team, man, and he has been awful, you know, at times. And they still haven't gone to him. I do think, I'd like to think that, you know, in a, when they get eliminated and it's coming, maybe Stidham gets that last week. Okay, I don't want to see Jared Stidham. And if you've been listening to me for a while, I need to apologize for things I said six months ago. I said before. Like, I thought we could go into a season with Jared Stidham and the team might be bad, but we'd learn stuff we get to evaluate. Nope, I gotta. I changed my mind. We, were, we talked yesterday about how Cam has been interesting, and I said back in the summer, I don't care about interesting. All I care about is, is development and seeing things. Nope, I care about interesting. After seeing this year where Cam has made them relevant, I'm all in on that. That has been more fun to me. So, no. I don't want. I told you yesterday the worst combination a team can be is both bad and boring. With Jared Stidham, they'd be bad and they'd be boring. I I have no interest in that. I I like interesting. I like relevant. I was wrong six months ago when I said that. I did not think that it mattered if a team was interesting. No, oh, no, it's okay. They don't need to be interesting. Just let's just play the season. See what we've got. You know what? You know who did that? The Red Sox. The Red Sox did that. They weren't good. They weren't interesting. And we're left evaluating a bunch of guys that won't be here next year. Like, that wasn't very fun for anybody. I thought we could do that with the Patriots and it'd be okay. No, we can't. I've liked what Cam has provided. I've liked the energy. I've liked the relevance. I've liked the constant talking points. From now on, I have learned in my career, interesting is good and interesting is fun. And no, Lou Merloni, we like you. Thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome anytime. But no, I would not want Jared Stidham to play because Jared Stidham is boring. And the team would be boring with him. And the team would be bad with him. And I don't have interest in that. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We come back, we'll get to who's saying what, and then we'll finish up with closing closing thoughts right here on this Friday on WDEV. Streaming at WDEVradio.com. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? I think Julian Edelman is cashed. I think he's done. I, I think we're done seeing him as the Julian Edelman that we know and love. They really said that? The Patriots right now, they are the Jets. They have no quarterback play. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEVAM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, final segment on a Friday, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. It is the Brady Farkas Show. Remember, the full show podcast is available after the show along with all of our exclusive interviews from the week. Just subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
or at WDEVradio.com. As for who's saying what, it was more bad news for local sports fans and local athletes at the governor's COVID-19 response news conference. Here's Governor Phil Scott. Unfortunately, this means our data does not support the return to school or recreational sports at this time. But we'll continue to evaluate this each week. I'm not a politician. I'm not an official who has liability in people's lives on my hands. So I'm, I can't tell you that the governor continuing to suspend sports is the wrong decision. I'm not even going to try to tell you that. All I can tell you is that we need to see some improvement in the coronavirus numbers quickly to save the winter sports season for these high school kids. Kids probably need three weeks of preseason. You probably need one week of tryouts and then at least two weeks of full practice to be able to play a season. Right now, the season is slated to start January 11th. There has been no change to that, but I mean, what's the latest you could start? Could you you could probably push it back? Man, I would say you could probably push it back two weeks and maybe still get the season in. It might be a shortened season, but you could still get the season in. I think if you if you start by January 25th, three weeks, you know, preseason with tryouts and practice and start playing around Valentine's Day, a little after Valentine's Day, you could probably play until the end of March and then start up the spring season in mid-April and then play it through early June. I mean, that's just rough calendaring on my part here, but um, we're going to need to see some improvement quick here. I want there to be high school sports. I remember what it did for me in my life, and basically the answer to that is it's done everything. Being a high school athlete opened up every door for me. Being an athlete opened up every door for me. Professionally, personally, I met my girlfriend through sports. I met my best friends through sports. I got this job because of sports. I coached sports because I knew sports. Like It opened up every door for me. It opens up doors for all these athletes. I hope that the numbers go down enough so that we can get an adequate winter sports season because these kids deserve the opportunity to have and make the memories and open the doors that I got to have. All right, let's get to uh, let's get to closing thoughts here. Let's end the show on this, everybody. Closing thoughts. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay. All right, former Patriots wide receiver Josh Gordon reinstated by the NFL. Remember, he was suspended last year in Seattle, so he was released by the Patriots. Seattle signed him. He got suspended in December, has now been out effectively a year. Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network with the latest. The official reinstatement of Josh Gordon, conditionally reinstated, but this is something that the Seahawks and Gordon have been waiting more than a year for, ever since he was suspended in December last year. Now we get word from the league office that Gordon is officially back. And he can start playing week 16, so we're heading into week 13. He's got to go through COVID protocols, then kind of reacclimate slowly into the team's facility and program, so he can't really play even until week 16. Um... I like Josh Gordon. I liked him when he was with the Patriots. I know a lot of the damage that he has done as far as all the suspensions, marijuana, harder drugs. A lot of it's self-imposed, and a lot of people don't feel bad for that. I do, Um, even though I recognize that a lot of what's happened to him has been self-imposed. I don't feel the NFL got this right here. The NFL has had their foot in both camps. If you've learned one thing about me in this this show's now month-and-a-half history – I hope you've learned that I don't like hypocritical things. The NFL 
decriminalized marijuana and drugs. They decriminalized them. They made it so, like so much harder for you to get suspended. Like you have to do so much more now to get suspended for a drug-related offense. Once that rule changed and drugs didn't become as big an issue as they used to be in the NFL, then Josh Gordon should have been reinstated instantly as far as I'm concerned. If the NFL was going to keep the old rules, then punishment after punishment after punishment after punishment should have stacked on each other, and Josh Gordon should have been suspended for well longer than a year. And again, like with the blindside hit last Sunday for the Patriots and Cardinals, we can quibble about what the rule is, but the rule is the rule. If the old rules were in place, then Josh Gordon should have been suspended for longer than a year. But with the new rules in place, where Josh Gordon or where drugs are not as big a deal to the NFL, where marijuana, it, it takes like five offenses or something for you to get suspended now for marijuana, all of the bad stuff that he's done that he served punishments for should now be irrelevant. He served punishments for those things. He's already served them. He shouldn't have had this latest offense held against him like this for a year. It should have been a much smaller offense under the new system. He's already served punishments under the old system. He shouldn't be treated as a retime of, as a as a repeat offender. He should have been treated as an offender for the first time under the new system, and he should have been back a whole lot quicker. I hope Josh Gordon figures it out for football, sure, but mainly for his life. People say he's a nice guy. People say that he's quiet, but he's generally easy to get along with. I mean, Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots. I remember talking to him last year and saying that Josh Gordon seemed in a better place last season in New England before he got released. I hope it works out for him. I really do. Um, as for how he fits in Seattle, I don't know. It's hard to add a guy to the lineup in Week 16. Seattle's offense is still really good without him. Okay, um, DK Metcalf is a stud. Tyler Lockett's a stud. David Moore is very good as a number three. I mean, maybe he fits in as the number four and replaces this kid Swain they've got out of Florida right now, acting as their four receiver. But I don't think it's going to be like, hey, Josh Gordon comes in and gets 10 catches for 110. Like, maybe he ends up with two catches and does something in the playoffs. I don't know. But I don't think he's going to make a huge impact. I'm happy for him that he's worked hard enough now for a year to get clean to the point where he can come back and play. That's the thing that should matter most, not what the back of his football card says at the end of the year. But I just don't think under the new system, he